was in the kitchen. We were having a conversation. I said, you won't believe what Coach said to me. Coach Vukinich said to me, oh, yeah, what's that? I said, well, he said, if I don't start playing better, um, I'm not going to play. You can play the other guy. And I was complaining. And my mom said um, her exact words. I'll tell you what, her exact words. My mom's tough. Anybody that knows her knows it. There's no, there's, you're going to get the truth. She goes, her exact words, shut up and listen to your coach. From Lakely, it's how I got here. The stories behind the youth, high school, college, and professional sports journey, where it leads, and what we learn along the way. I'm Corey Koski, and on today's show, we learn what it takes to slay the giant. Rob Staubert can say something that only one other head coach in the USA can say. I was the head coach for the USA women's hockey team that won a gold medal. You see, that only happened one other time in history. The last time the women won was in Nagano in 1998. Canada has won every year since. Rob Stauber was looking at a 20-year medal jump. How do you beat a country that's identity is wrapped in hockey? Rob had to put together a formula for that, and he only had a year and a half to do that. This is a story. So you graduate from Duluth, Denfield. Um, and you're a standout high school goalie. But before that, you know, what point did you decide that you want to play goalie, and were you always a goalie? Well, I was always a goalie. Um, and honestly, Corey, I don't recall um, the exact moment in time, you know, where I said I wanted to be a goalie. I do know that um, I had five brothers, and you play pickup ball hockey in the driveway. Somebody's got to be a goalie. You know, you you got kids in the neighborhood, and somebody's got to take on that role. Otherwise, ball hockey's not a lot of fun. Yeah. And you know, honestly, playing ball hockey and being a ball hockey goalie in the driveway, you got to be these astounding saves. You don't have equipment. You gotta you gotta track balls. Like you you got to figure out how to stop them, and you become athletic. And then the enjoyment of making that big save in a ball hockey game is is incredible, right? Knocking it out of the air with your stick, whatever it is, and you win a ball hockey game. And you know, for a group of kids, that's important, and it's fun, and it's you know, you couldn't wait. You know, us as a family, we couldn't wait to get done with dishes at dinner. We ate as a family. It was get those dishes done as fast as you can. Somebody's washing, somebody's drying, teamwork, so we can get to the driveway and play ball hockey. And so, again, somebody had to be a goalie. Um, somebody had to be a goalie when you went down to the rink and you played little pickup games. Um, but what I do remember. Corey, on top of those fun things, was really there was a time when I don't recall the age. I'm guessing it was seven or eight. I played up forward one time. Yeah, you know, when I was six, seven, eight, there was one time where I was a forward and I had fun. I absolutely had fun. But I recall in that little specific moment of time, my mom just came to me and said, This is it. This is your last chance. You're either. You're either sticking with this, or you're you're gonna you know move on and play out. And no, I was I was a goalie, and I think the things that were attractive about a goalie, um, which most kids that have gone on and have played and been successful, I'll just tell you it's the, the reality is in most and not all the time, but a lot of the time you're a goat or you're a hero, mm-hmm. and you accept that responsibility, and there's no feeling like making that big save at the critical time and and, um, and the joy in that and the joy of 
of winning and, and typically having, in most cases, again, a, a playing a significant piece of that victory. And also with that comes the risk of, you know, being a goat and, and having to learn to deal with that and, you know, uh, some of the isolation that comes with that. Um, and you don't want that feeling very often. So you, you, you rally, and, and I, I personally just, you know, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed kind of the pressure of, you know, having to make a difference day in and day out. Do you remember a time in sports when you were, you were the GOAT? Oh, absolutely. Goalie? Absolutely. I, I can tell you right now vividly, and it's a huge, like, Corey, the experiences I had in my life as a young goalie, experiences I've had in my life as a young coach, all are valuable. Mm-hmm. I remember. Um, I remember it was the silver stick. I was 12 or 13 years old. We were we, we were a very good team. Maybe we were the best team in the state of Minnesota. We were from Duluth, small town, small team. Not a lot of kids, but this team was good. Historically, we went on and won a lot of, lot of events and tournaments and stuff. And we came down the silver stick and we lost. And, um, you know, in my own mind, I'm 12 or 13. Nobody knows this. Mm-hmm. My parents didn't know it. I think it's actually important that they didn't. Um, uh, you know, my teammates didn't know it. My head coach didn't know it. My brother was on the team. He didn't know it. But I remember laying in bed going, that was my fault. Mm-hmm. And vowing that the next time it would be different, mm-hmm. that I had to be different. I had to do something different. I had to be better. You know, the, the, those conversations in your head. And I was 12 or 13, and I was, let me, you know, at that moment in time as a kid, that's devastating. In, in reality, it's not because it's not life. It's not the end of the world but at that moment in time it was you know uh, I didn't have somebody trying to solve my problem for me I didn't have somebody telling me you shouldn't feel like that I didn't have somebody saying it's not your fault um, it's a team game. none of those things I was going through that process and saying you know what next time I want a different result and what do I have to do to get a different result I remember um, vividly as a sophomore in high school we had the best team in the state of Minnesota um, didn't lose a game all year. This was the team that I grew up with. Mm-hmm. We were a group of seniors. I was a sophomore. I was the only sophomore on the team. And this is virtually 80% of the team I grew up with from the time we were six years old. And that's why we were so good. Uh-huh. And nobody wanted to go to that state tournament more than those group of kids. Mm-hmm. This is back when it was one class, Minnesota high school hockey. It was every kid's dream, just like our entire team. And we lost. The only game of the year we lost to a team that we crushed earlier in the year. And I watched those group of seniors just, I mean, they were devastated. I mean, this was their life. And I'm the sophomore goalie, and I gave up a terrible goal, the winning goal. Oh, really? Terrible. And I remember I was terrible. And we left the St. Paul Coliseum. Drove to Forest Lake, bus stopped, they got out to McDonald's. I didn't get out of the bus. I was the only player who didn't get out of the bus. I, I sat there and I remember saying, this is not going to happen again. You gotta, something's got to change. And I was so devastated. It wasn't even so much for me. Obviously, I wanted as much as them, but it wasn't so much for me. But it was to see a group of players so devastated, my teammates, the kids, and to see the hurt that was involved in that, I just didn't want that again. You know, it's not to say you can guarantee that that won't happen. I mean, it's... It's sports, but I, I internally <clears throat> looked at myself and 
you know, what role I played in it. And, and again, bowing to myself that it was going to be different. And so, you know, those are, those are critical moments. Um, very, very critical moments. So what did you do? Uh, you said it was different. That's twice you said it was going to be different. So what did you do yeah. to? Great question. Great question. Great question. Because that's what sports are all about to me. Yeah. When we lost when I was 12 or 13, Two years later, we won the state championship with that same team. Mm-hmm. Both state championships, VFW state championship at age 14 and the Bantam state championship, the, the overall state championship, won both those. Um, it's mindset. It's looking like truly looking at yourself, which I got in the habit of doing. Um, I got in the habit of looking internally at myself. What can I do to be better? How much more determined do I have to be? How do I look at this? Um, you know, what do I have to do to be different? And we lost as a sophomore. That team was undefeated. You ask any one of those teammates, they're still, I mean, my brother's still, it's a joke, mm-hmm. you know, because it's a running joke because two years later, with a team that wasn't nearly as talented, not nearly as gifted, not nearly anything, wasn't supposed to amount to a whole lot, that team made the state tournament. It, on paper, it's not even close. And that's where you start to draw the differences between winning and losing. The, really the things that matter most. So what is it? what was the difference well, our, between the two teams? Yeah, our sophomore team, we had a lot of great players. Mm-hmm. A lot of great players, Corey. You're talking a single high school hockey team back in the early 80s where many players went on to play D1 college hockey. That rarely happens out of anywhere, especially a small little town. So you had all these players, which I don't know what was going on in their head, but knowing what I know today, I would imagine that a lot of those kids that were so gifted and so good and wanted so much for their future, historically what happens, you get caught looking into the future. What are the goals that I want? What do I want after high school hockey? All those things that are normal thought processes. You got scouts, you got NHL teams, you got college teams recruiting all, you know, this team. And we're undefeated. The only team in the state that's undefeated. And you can imagine where that mind has a tendency to, you know, think forward. And, you know, I would say that that, that specifically, the talent, and we worked hard. But I think because of that talent and because of the, the, the possibilities for so many of those players to move on and do well, that that was a team that got caught looking ahead. And then that was my perception. Mm-hmm. You know, we can look at it and I heard all kinds of other things on why we lost. No, no, no. Number one, I know what part I played in it. Mm-hmm. Number two, um, I think the gifted, talented team just got caught looking into the future and you can't do that in sports it's it's the today it's the now it's putting that team first and foremost not your own plans and objectives which is hard because I, these kids are being pulled at and they, we're talking today but i'm talking back in the 80s they were still being pulled at we still had our distractions we still had people saying what are you going to do after which college you're going to go to and that is very difficult some high school teams might have one or two. We had many. Mm-hmm. And you get a number of talented players that get pulled 
that's a difference maker. Mm-hmm. And you've got to be able to stay in that moment, that moment in time. And I can say that because, Corey, you asked me, what is the difference? Two years later, I was in that same boat. Mm-hmm. I was the kid that was being recruited, one of the kids that was being recruited. Um, I know where my mind went to at times during that season. I saw the effect that had on my performance. I was able to look at that with some help to say, you know what, you're going to end up with nothing if you don't stay in the moment, if you don't figure this out. These are things, this is that self-talk. Like I could see it snowballing in the wrong direction where you want so much for your future and you want so much for what's next in your life and you want to go on and play Division One hockey and you you want these things, again, which are normal. We're all told to have goals, etc. But oh my gosh, if you don't stay in that moment and that time and figure out what's most important and stay to that, that most short-term important goal, which was for us as a team to get to the state tournament, you know, we didn't have a lot of guys on that team that were overly talented. Let's say two or three lines off that team weren't going on to play D1 college hockey. Many of them maybe didn't even go on to play college hockey. So where were their minds? Mm-hmm. In the moment, in the now, and getting to that state tournament. And what, did, what, what, what type of product or team then do you see on the ice? You see a team that does maybe the little things differently. Who's, because their minds are different. Their minds are not worried about their future. They're worried about exactly what's in front of them and the most important thing. And I, I will never forget those experiences. It's the ability to look at it, Corey. Look, look truly look in the mirror. And we could talk about this more later, what that actually means. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it seems so obvious, look in the mirror. But the reality is to be able to say what's most important at this moment, at this time, and narrowing your focus in. And, and when you do that, and, and you have enough people doing that, great things can happen. So you get to the state tournament. Yep. Uh, after the year, you get drafted that year. Yep. And so obviously you had scouts there. So what was that process for you? Did, have, did you have multiple schools looking for you? And how does a Duluth kid end up in the Gophers yep. versus at Duluth playing? Well, let me just say two things that are important about that year that we made to the state championship. And I think anyone that hears this podcast would want to know this. I had a, I, I had a great... Uh, event happened to me in my senior year when I was not playing well. It was halfway through the year. It was December. I know right where we were. We're in War Road, Minnesota. We went up to War Road. We didn't have a very good uh, tournament. I did not play very well. We didn't have success. The head coach came up to me and said, Rob, if you don't start playing better, we're going to play the other goalie. And I thought, well, how can that be? Like, it's, you know, I'm a senior in high school now. I've started every game for three years. Never missed a start. I'm like, well, coach, you know, I think to myself, you know. So I remember after that tournament, I was at home. And um, my mom was in the kitchen. We were having a conversation. I said, you won't believe what coach said to me. Coach Vukinich said to me. Oh, yeah, what's that? I said, well, he said, if I don't start playing better, um, I'm not going to play. I'm going to play the other guy. And I was complaining, and my mom said um, her exact words. I'll tell you what, her exact words. My mom's tough. Anybody that knows her knows that there's no, there's, you're going to get the truth. She was, her exact words, shut up and listen to your coach. Best advice I ever got. Shut up and listen to your coach. I said, no excuses. Coach is right. Play better. 
And, you know, once you get shut down like that and you don't have nowhere to turn, you have nobody to complain to, the, the one person you think you could complain to says, shut up and listen to your coach. Great lesson. Great lesson. So um, the reason I bring that up is I was only recruited by two schools, Colorado College and the University of Minnesota. Colorado College had offered me a full scholarship. University of Minnesota, only two schools, had offered me a half scholarship. And I know in my heart where I wanted to go, there wasn't a question. No question at all. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go to the University of Minnesota. But I was offered a full scholarship to Colorado College. It's a big difference, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I was gonna take a visit to Colorado College and set it up. And to be perfectly honest and frank, it was at that time, your senior in high school, you get to miss an extra day of school. Mm -hmm. So I said, no, nah, I'm going to go visit. I'm going to go visit. I got it set up. I'm going to do it. Working on it. And my mom stopped me in my tracks and again, saved me from myself. And she said, uh, I said, Mom, I'm going to go to Colorado College for a visit. And she, said, oh. she said, one question. She said, uh, I have one question for you. Where do you want to play? Said, University of Minnesota. She goes, you're not taking that visit. You get on the phone now and you tell them that you want to that's where you want to play. And I did. No, no games. No messing around. Uh, it's not a joke. Where do you want to play? University of Minnesota. Well, that's where you'll go. That's what you want. That was it. End of story. And it was just great, great advice. Um, the cool thing, Corey, when I've told this story not to very many people, very few people, at that time, I had, the recruiting maybe is much different than it is today. I mean, I was recruited as a high school senior. Mm -hmm. So I had Doug Woog, Bill Butters, Dean Talifus, Jack Blatherwick, and Paul Osby, all the coaches from the University of Minnesota. So all of them come to the house. They sit in our front room. We don't have a very big house. They're all sitting there, and they're recruiting me, and we'd like you to come to the University of Minnesota. All we have is a half scholarship. Or maybe they had more, but they said, that's all you're worth, whatever, some version of that, right? And that's what we're going to give you. And... Um, and um, that's it. And in those conversations, I don't. I recall to me the most important thing. There's probably a lot of small talk and whatnot. But uh, Doug Woog said um, at that time, the head coach. I said, "Listen, I just want to make sure you understand." He said, "We have a two-time All WCHA goalie, John Blue. All WCHA." He said, um, "You're not gonna play." And if you do, it's not going to be very much. And I remember saying to myself when they left the house, and it, by no means of arrogance, by no means taking anything away from anyone, I didn't really know who John Blue was. I knew who he was, watch him play. It was none, nothing about that. It was none of that that was going through my mind. Other than when they left, I said, you can't come into my house and tell me I'm not going to play. I'm going to play. That was my mindset. You can't walk in here and tell me I'm not going to play. I'm going to play. And I don't think Doug did it as a challenge or anything like that. I think he was being honest. I want to set the expectation. Look, we got a two-time All-WCHA goalie. He's an awesome WCHA college goalie. Like, you just want you to know what you're getting into here. And, and, you know, for me and, you know, my mindset and kind of how I was um, – not necessarily raised, but just growing up in a family of five brothers, like, you know, you set your mind to something and it's it's 
you know, I had set my mind to it. So, you know, that was my recruiting process. And, and um, you know, and I'm so thankful for that because it wasn't your guaranteed. I wasn't asking for a guarantee. I wasn't asking for those things. I know where I wanted to play. I know why I wanted to play at the University of Minnesota. Most importantly, why did I want to go there? I thought so highly of the program. I had watched how that team played. I watched the character and the grit that they had. I wanted to be a part of that. It was more about, I want to be a part of that. I want to experience a team that grinds and has, looks like they have character or program. You know, those are qualities and characteristics that I could see in that program. I could see it, I watched it, I grew up in Duluth, I watched them play UMD. So I saw that and I wanted to experience that. I wanted to be a part of that, that tradition. You get, now you go to university, you get drafted, you go to university, you have, you have, you know, an all-time, or a two-time all-WCHA goalie in front of you. What is your mindset going in there and how do you get more playing time? Yeah. Um, it, it all started with that day that those coaches left the house. I just made my mind up, I'm going to play. And I w I, again, I was told I wasn't going to play. And, and Corey, the reality is I went in there and I just, there was, I wasn't going to back down. And I mean this, I mean, I was just going to back down. I wasn't going to take, I, I was just going to do what I've done my entire life. I'm going to get in there and I'm going to stop box. It doesn't matter who's shooting. It doesn't matter. My mindset was I'm going to play. And um, you, no matter what happened, I wasn't going to be held down. And I can tell you, I can tell you that one of the things that the coaches did, um, we had the dungeon, it was our training room, um, our workout room was the dungeon, it was the old football uh, stadium weight room where the uh, football team used to play. And I know the coaches in intentionally did this. The two of the coaches, um, the strength coach at that time was Jack Blatherwick, and then our goalie coach, Paul Osby, John Blue, who was in front of me, uh, who was the starter, two-time All-WCHA goalie. I'll never forget it. We had these, uh, like, porta pits, homemade porta pits. They weren't like the real big, huge porta pits that, um, you know, uh, Flasbury fought, you know, that you jump on, you know, oh, yeah, at yeah, the Olympics, yeah, the yeah, big yeah, blue yeah, porta yeah, pits. Yeah, yeah. Um, we had smaller versions, and we had them for different reasons. We had them, uh, we would do uh, 20 and 30 second sprints on them, so like you're in the sand. Yeah. And um, that was part of our training at different times. And, um, but on one given day, we're in the weight room, and uh, um, I recall um, Jack Blatherwick and Paul Osby saying, um, uh, this is Stobbs and Bluey. Uh, we want you to guys get on there and wrestle. And John Blue is, first of all, he's probably four years older, bigger, stronger. He's one of the strongest guys on the entire team. And he was a goalie. And we got on there, and he must have body slammed me 15 times. 20 times. I don't know how many. I mean, it slammed me over and over. And every time, I remember just saying to myself, I'm getting up. And I got up every single time. And... That was just my my mentality. I don't care what what happens. I'm I'm gonna get up and and the one thing I knew, Corey. I knew in my heart that the thing that I had, which I thought was I had that mental resiliency. I was gonna be resilient, no question. Mm -hmm. Just I'm gonna keep going. But I also had a really 
one fundamental set that I knew and I could observe. You know, as a player, when you can look at, I mean, players all, all across the league, and if you have a fundamental set that's really good, and you, you're just honest with yourself, you can look at competition and go, hey, there's some things that I have in my game that others don't have, and I was able to do that. I could, and I knew this, and I knew that it was gonna pay off. I didn't know when or how, what time, but I, I could skate very, very well. I had, a, a, because I skated my entire life, you know, even though I was a goalie from the time I was five or six, which we talked about earlier, I skated, if I skated one hour as a goalie, I skated five or six as a forward. Mm-hmm. So I could skate. Most goalies didn't mm-hmm. do that. They weren't very athletic on their feet. They couldn't skate very well or they didn't move real well. They could stop the puck. But one thing I could do was I could move and I could skate. I could look like a forward. Mm-hmm. And I knew that that was gonna pay off all those years from the time I was seven to you know, 11 years of skating. And I mean, I skated like crazy. I knew that was gonna be a difference maker. So it was a matter of, I have to get up. No matter when I get, I'm down, I gotta get up, I gotta have that mindset because that fundamental skill set I had of the ability to move across the crease, forward, back, was a matter of time before that was gonna pay off. And it, it so turns out that my freshman year in college, I ended up playing almost half the games. I wasn't, wasn't guaranteed any, let alone three or four. So how did the other goalie deal with that? Don't know. I mean, it wasn't to be expected, right? Uh-huh. Um, wasn't to be expected. Um, but I, I, I know there were critical moments in my freshman year where, I, you know, big games, critical games, where I stood tall, I performed under pressure, mm-hmm. and that gave coaches, I'm sure, and teammates a confidence that, that this young guy back there is not afraid. So did, so was he a senior at the time? He was a junior. Oh, he was a junior. Yep. Okay. Yep. And then the next year? It was my sophomore year, year is he made the Olympic team. John Blue made the Olympic team. Okay. And um, him... Mike Richter and Chris Terreri, who two of those three, Richter and Terreri went on to have incredible careers in the National Hockey League. John played in the National Hockey League as well. Um, on the other hand, that season as a sophomore, um, we lost several players to the Olympic team. We lost Snuggerud, we lost Richards, uh, we lost Chorsky for a period of time, we lost Blue. Um, so we were technically, we lost Corey Millen. So technically, we weren't supposed to be very good. In fact, I have people remind me of this. I, quite frankly, I'm glad people had to remind me because I didn't pay attention to polls and stuff. I didn't. But there were 10 teams in the WCHA because of the number of players that we lost, the Olympic team, high-end players that we were polled to finish 7th out of 10. And we ended up finishing first with the one win shy of the school record. And if that isn't a parallel to what happened in high school, I knew, like I know what we, in my heart, what wins games and what's most important. It's not the talent. Um, it's the camaraderie, it's the chemistry, it's the grind, it's the gut, it's the fearlessness. Um, and, you know, 
again, I mean, you couldn't be more proud of a team that, that ended up winning one game shy of the school record with three or four highly skilled players that are playing on the U.S. Olympic team. And, um, and it was what a run, what a blessing that team was. And we lost in the Frozen Four in the, in the semis. Um, uh, you know, terrible loss. Uh, you know, at least, you know, of course, as a, all goalies do on critical games like that, it was 12 seconds left off a rebound. Jeez. You know, it was two-two, and um, you know, it was a, we had such a uh, a storybook going, and um, you know we didn't we didn't get the job done, um, but so many great things that year, so many things that are valuable experiences that you know you never forget, and you use those actually as as you know kind of building blocks for your future. You don't know exactly when it's gonna you know those events are gonna take place again or that experience that you learn there you're going to need but it's going to happen hey when we come back rob's going to talk about playing in the nhl and the olympic experience you're not going to want to miss this stay with us i'm Corey koski and you're listening to how i got here from Lakeley. hey this is Corey koski i'm the former major leaguer that got this crazy idea of using sports stories to hopefully encourage youth and high school athletes and their parents as they are on their journey since retiring, I have coached over 85 youth sports teams over the last 12 years, and I have seen our world change. Our kids and their parents are more insecure than ever. We are comparing others' best presentation of themselves against how we view ourselves. We are comparing our real life to another's highlight reel. This is not fair. Real life is full of adversity. You will see in all our stories, we are all gonna get knocked down the successful people get back up and dust themselves off and continue to move forward. There is so much good that can come out of adversity if we allow it. As my mom said, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. We are looking for sponsors to help us on our mission of connecting youth sports for good. If you'd like to sponsor our podcast, you can email me at cory.koski at linkleak.com. That's cory.koski at linkleak.com. With the right partners, we can connect youth sports for good and change this world. To date, Rob Stauber has had a great college career. He was the first goaltender in history to win the Hobie Baker Award and has been to the Final Four all three years. The LA Kings come calling. What is a young player to do? How does a young player process leaving his dream school and move on? And why does he make this decision to go pro? At that moment in time, I was a, a junior in high, or, uh, college and we had we had three really good seasons. Um, made it to the Frozen Four three years in a row. Um, I was able to play in the Frozen Four all three years. Um, my my freshman year, I I obviously played in a backup role, and when that was the day in the age when they had a third place game, and mm. and that game didn't obviously matter as much, and they played me, and we won. The next year, like I said, we lost with 12 seconds left in the semis, and then we lost in uh, overtime in the finals in 89. And, you know, I had experienced a lot, but Corey, quite frankly, the, the reality was the, at that moment in time, the Los Angeles Kings had Gretzky. It, he, was, he was part of the organization for one year. There was a huge amount of interest in hockey in Los Angeles that had not existed at all. And at that moment in time, 
you know, I took a look at my situation at the University of Minnesota and, and did not accomplish what I set out to do, which was win a national title there. Um, you know, I wanted to be a part of that at the University of Minnesota. Um, on the other hand, um, when you get big picture life and the NHL team that drafted you comes with a contract that was just a really, really hard to turn down. At that moment in time, it was, uh, it was one of the best college contract offers ever to any player. And it was a guaranteed contract, um, regardless of what happens. Here's, here's your situation. And, you know, in, in combination with Gretzky being in Los Angeles and the hype and being able to look at that situation saying, you know, there's times in your life where, you know, you, you're forced to make a decision. And it was tough because I wanted, I loved the University of Minnesota. I loved what that represented and, and whatnot. Um, but that, for me, at that moment in time, it was a life decision. And um, there were a lot of things that, that uh, you know, if things worked out pretty well, you know, there was some really good things that could be your future. So I made a future and a life decision there, leaving the University of Minnesota. And um, uh, like I said, it was very, very hard. Um, but it was also a very exciting time in Los Angeles, quite frankly, with the greatest player ever, and I had a chance to be a part of that, um, which eventually materialized. You, what, what did that look like? You go from university, didn't you go into your first camp? Yep, I went into my first camp, and um, it was awesome. I mean, I, I, it was, I had an awesome camp. Um, but I also had a, I had a, which eventually turned out to be through an MRI, I was battling a, a back problem. And this was way back in the, uh, you know, I turned pro 80, it would have been 89, 90, and MRIs were just coming out. And coming out, it was bothering me, coming out of training camp, and I had a great training camp. I thought maybe I could make the team, you know. Um, I was young, really young. Um, but it performed very well in camp. And I thought, well, I might have a chance. But, you know, I did have this lingering back problem. And uh, before they sent me down to the minors, they sent me to L.A. to have an MRI. And it turned out that I did have a herniated, uh, I'll never forget, L4-5 disc. And it was, it was not good, you know. And, and so they kept me in LA for the first two months and did therapy and therapy and therapy and none of it worked. And then they were contemplating back surgery. And I remember, I'll never forget the team doctor, Dr. Robert Watkins, uh, said to the team, um, went to the team and said, look, before we do back surgery, can I send him? He asked, can I send him to a therapist I have a lot of confidence in outside the system? And the team said, sure. And Corey instantly, first session. Uh, many, many NHL players eventually went to this guy. His name is uh, Michael Schlink. Still does stuff out in California. He was a savior. Michael Schlink, I mean, he identified the problems. He identified the weaknesses. He identified, obviously, you could see the MRI, but he identified that you don't need back surgery. Here's how we have to attack this problem. And within two months, the rest of my life, literally the rest of my life, I'm 51, I was 
21 at this time. My back has flared up at times, but I know exactly how to get it back to a spot where it's healthy. And I've never, ever contemplated surgery. It was, it was a godsend. I mean, it was... So I spent two months in therapy with this guy, Michael Schlink. She missed four months now. Yeah, four months. Come out of my... They come out of the back deal. I'm ready to go. Send me down to the minors. First two weeks, I was player of the player of the week. Came out of there like nothing. And the reason that happened, Corey, the reason I was able to step on the ice, and I tell people this, um, is for four months, Corey, and that's why I believe so much in the mindset, but for four months, I watched every Kings game. Mm-hmm. I stayed at, for the first two months, I stayed at the Sheraton Hotel at the airport mm-hmm. by myself, and I'd go down to the little lobby, the little bar lobby, and every time the Kings were on, I'd watch. I watched every game, studied every game, and every shot on goal, every play, I visualized myself as being the king's goalie. What would I do in that situation? Goals, saves, etc. How would I do it? So for better part of four months, I didn't miss a king's hockey game on TV. I watched every game on the road, and I visualized myself, how would I be playing those scenarios? And so when I come out... And I go into the minors now in the minor leagues. I didn't miss time. Like physically, yeah, but not mindset. Not seeing plays happen. Not developing. And I I, I played so well in that two-week period. The Kings were, goal, goalies were struggling. They called me up. And I and I just recently saw my coach uh, just two weeks ago, Marcel Como. I just saw him at a junior hockey game. And he fought hard for the Kings not to call me up. He said, you got to give him some more time. And the, but the Kings were desperate. Their so goal, the goals at the time? Kelly Rudy and okay. Ron Scott were Kelly. struggling. And um, they just weren't playing very well. It wasn't necessarily them. The team was not playing well. And so they were kind of technically looking for a savior. And yeah. this young guy's down there playing well. And he's supposed to be pretty good. So let's call him up. And they did. Corey, I flew from New Haven. Met the team in Winnipeg. Uh, meet the team at the airport. We play the next day. In Winnipeg. In Winnipeg. I get on the ice for pregame skate. It's a 45-minute skate, and I'm like, whoa, it's fast. (laughs) Right? I mean, we're talking big step. And I do remember saying to myself, I So it's that much faster than the age Oh, yeah. And I'm going, I'm saying to myself at this moment in time, I'm fast. I'm going, it's fast. Doesn't matter. I got I, I got like forty five minutes to adjust to this speed. I'm like, so I start the game. Well, you start the game. Uh, first shot on goal is a breakaway. It's I think it was either Solani or Jamnov. Can't recall. <laughs> yeah. Goal. We're down one nothing. Breakaway. Uh, second goal. Boom in the period. I don't remember who scored it. Probably wasn't very good. I don't recall. Third goal. Jamnov. On a breakaway, we're down three nothing. Uh, this isn't going so good. So they pull me. Put in Kelly Rudy. He gives up three goals. We're down like six two. They put me back in for the third. They score three more. We lose nine two. Not a good start. And I remember saying to myself, I knew, I knew I could play there. I just needed a couple practices to adjust. Just. <laughs> Had I had a couple practices, because it was just that much quicker, and it's like you got to anticipate things, you got to, uh, you got to cheat a little bit, you got to, you got to see it just a little bit, and and 
two nights later, we played in Calgary and they played and we lost 5-2. I played a little better, but I was not very good. And this was right before the playoffs. It was in February. So I remember getting called into the GM's suite at the hotel and he calls me and he says, Rob, can I talk to you? I said, yep, <clears throat> Rogi Vachon, I love it. He's a French-Canadian guy, good guy. Rob, can I see you in the room? Yeah, and so Rogi says, um, we're going to send you down, but we're going to call you right back up for emergency recall because it's the playoffs. You have to set your roster. Mm-hmm. you got the emergency recall. Somebody gets hurt. I said, okay. He didn't say he played bad, which I knew I did. And I, again, I'm just saying, you know, if I had just a couple of days to adjust to the speed, because I didn't have a problem in training camp, you get a chance to adjust. So he said, we're going to call you back, emergency recall. And I always laugh about this, Corey. I said, that call took three years. Mm -hmm. I never got another call in three years. Oh, really? That was terrible. I mean, I felt like the team lost confidence in me, um, et cetera, et cetera. And... um, wasn't you know I laugh actually it was my fourth I signed a five-year contract it was my fourth year where I finally got a phone call I was like thank God because I needed something to give you know I needed somebody to believe in me again because clearly it seemed like the people there that just was like I got two periods and that was it you know Um, but it's pro sports Mm -hmm. you um, so when did you know, wife and kids to kind of get into that picture. Yeah. Um, well, it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, it was. Uh, it was like my fourth year in LA. The year I actually I I, I made the team. Um, uh, I was married. Um, I didn't have kids for a couple of years, so the kids didn't come till a couple of years after that when I was playing in the minor leagues and um, with the Washington Capitals. <clears throat> And also the um, the New York Rangers Farm Club. When I played with uh, their teams, is when I you know kids got involved and and um, uh, you know which was the kids were just young. You know you're just trying to stop pucks and be a dad at the same time and trying to figure out how the nap schedule, how you work it all in, right? And mm-hmm. try to. Um, but I also found that that. There's a lot of peace in that too, you know. As you know, there's more to the game, which you've heard many players say. You know, kids uh, definitely shed different light on what's important. And um, you know, my daughter was able to do that. I remember uh, when I was with the Rangers, coming out after games, and you know, she's in a little baby carrier, and you know, you know what's important then, right? I mean, that at that moment in time, you didn't carry those wins and losses the same way as you did in the past, where maybe you have some sleepless nights and. That's, it's not that you don't care at the same level. It's just that there's other things that are important. Mm-hmm. So was that? So why did you decide to retire? What was that process like? Yeah. Well, Corey, for me, um, in order for me to be at the top of my game, and I knew my game. I knew I knew when I stepped on the ice um, that I ha- that I had to play with a certain purpose, a certain passion, and what made me tick as a player really was the most important thing. And when I when I decided to retire, I had a good job. I loved playing I love playing hockey. And as most athletes say, they love the locker room as much as they love the stress of having to perform under pressure. Mm-hmm. I mean that that eventually takes its toll on anyone. 
Um, it does. But the day in and day out of going the rink and getting better, I loved practice. I might have been, like, might have been beyond loving. I couldn't wait to get the rink and work at my craft and become better at something and tinker with my game. And, and I really, really enjoyed it as my craft. And I knew that when I did decide to retire, that I was going to miss that the most, is just tinkering with my craft, becoming a better goalie. But um, I couldn't, even though it was a good job, and I, I knew what I'd miss, I didn't have that same, same what makes me tick when I stepped on the ice and I knew it was time. When if I didn't have that, I couldn't, be and I had observed players over my course of my career that played for a good job, played for a paycheck. I observed it. I could tell who they were. I wasn't critical of them, but that wasn't me. I had to step on the ice as if I was a kid every single game, you know. And if I couldn't do that with that same passion and that same what makes me tick mentality, then it's for me. I wasn't going to be my best, and I couldn't step on the ice unless I had the right mindset to be my best because I couldn't step on the ice and just play. I wasn't good enough to do that. Mm -hmm. There's no way I was good enough to do that. I didn't have enough skill. I didn't have enough talent. I wasn't the fastest. I wasn't the biggest. I wasn't the strongest. It was none of those things. It was a whole bunch of other things that allowed me to climb the ladder. And once I, I felt like that wasn't there on a daily basis and I, and I there's got to be something else for me. And, and I was able to step away with a smile on my face because I knew that about me as a player. So what next after that? How did you process that? And how did you transition into your next deal? Did Stauber, Gold Crease, how long after your yep. retirement did you come in to decide to go with Stauber, Gold Crease? Great question. Uh, like a lot of pro athletes, you flounder for a while, and which is normal. And when, when I say flounder, I mean, for me, it wasn't, you know, some guys flounder, you know, there's a different, uh, different story there. For me, it was just, what am I going to do? You know, what is it that I want to do? And, and one of the things that I did, even as a professional hockey player, and as I mentioned before we started the podcast, is that in 1986, as a freshman in college that summer, you have to work a little bit. You have to make some money. And I got into goalie coaching. And um, I did that. I did that even as a pro. Every year. I never missed a year um, of coaching. So even as, as a pro athlete, I was always teaching in the summer. And it seemed like a natural evolution. But summer camps wasn't enough for me. I didn't. I started to look at goaltending differently in coaching goalies in the summer versus what Corey one of the things that hit me which made total sense to me is year after year running summer camps we had some talented kids it was easy to see kids that were pretty talented and I'd see them the next summer and I like these kids and you see them the next summer and you didn't see any growth you saw almost the same version of them and I'm going this doesn't work and then when you identify that honestly, which I, I did, I just looked at it and said, they're the same kid, same problem, same habits, same, it's like something's not right in this picture. And at that moment in time when I was able to come to that conclusion, which 
took me maybe a year, year and a half for me to really look at this and say, why are these kids coming back with the same problems? I said, well, it's easy. <clears throat> you have to see them more. It's the only way you can correct those issues and those habits and those problems is if you see them more and you see them in an environment where you can help them stay on top of those things to allow them past that point where they've repeated something new enough that it shows up. Doesn't show up in a summer camp, doesn't show up in two weeks. There's no way. Um, no way does it. But were these your summer camps? Yeah. Or were you work yeah, it was where, myself and my college coach. We partnered together, and in, in, um, I worked for him for many years with Warren Stralo, who was the goalie coach of the 1980 Olympic team. Warren also coached the University of Minnesota, three national championships. Warren was the original guru of goalie coaching in the entire country. I'm, I'm not sure anybody was ever better than Warren Stralo. Warren was super sharp goal, and he was super passionate about uh, goalies. And so I worked for Warren and Paul. They partnered together. Paul was one of his students at the University of Minnesota, one of his goalies. Those two partnered together um, for many years, and I worked for those two. And then Paul and I went into business together. Warren went into um, coaching the pros, and uh, Paul and I went into business together in the early 90s. And we did that. Uh, for seven or eight years, summer goalie camps. And it wasn't until, of course, when I retired and I started looking at the, the problems, I could look at it with a different mm -hmm. lens because I had more time. And that was obvious to me that in, in um, uh, 2002 is when I decided that I'm going to develop a training center, my own set of, uh, my own ice sheet, realized where goalies could come in and practice their craft. And I had to have coaches involved and commit to coaches full time to say, if we're going to do this, this is what we have to do. And to me, it was it was a it was a no brainer that if you see if you believe in what you're doing and what you teach and you think that that can impact a kid over time and that there's going to be a benefit to that. It was a no brainer. Let's go for this. Let's just develop a center where you can see kids more often and they come to you. You, you know, you can run around like crazy and you run around with your head cut off trying to help a kid all over the place. You had to have a central location where they would come to you on their time when they had openings. And that's how we, you know, that's that was the vision of it. So you invested significantly yep. into your center. Yep. How was the first year? It was awesome. I mean, meaning, meaning I lived there and I knew it. I lived there. I knew I'd have to live there. And, you know, Corey, I had the same mindset I did as a player, um, as a player, you know, going to the University of Minnesota, just, we're going to make this happen, um, no matter what. I, I didn't, you know, I, as any young business guy and potential entrepreneur at that point, you know, I, I said to myself, this is going to make it no matter what. No matter what we have to do to make this facility thrive no matter literally no matter what has to be done this place will make it and I even had to go over scenarios in my own head that if we struggled badly couldn't pay the bills couldn't pay the rent couldn't pay the coaches no matter all these things that business people have to go through and um, I also in my own head said well okay what am I willing to do to make this work and I had to go through many scenarios of saying, look, we can't 
if this doesn't happen, this doesn't happen, this doesn't happen, well, what am I willing to do? Which at that moment in time, um, I had a training center developed in a certain way where there was office space upstairs that I had already made up my mind that if, if, if I have to sell my house and live in the training center, I will do that doesn't matter we're gonna make this training center work so my plan was it wasn't gonna work it was what am I willing to do am I willing to sell my house am I willing to give things up am I willing to do this in order for this center to thrive and grow and get past it which I was I had, I had it wasn't it wasn't a backup plan it was no this is going to work I'm glad I didn't have to do that but I was willing to do it that didn't matter we're gonna we're gonna make this thrive. How did you market it to my current clientele, which was awesome? And I've asked people this. It was really Corey. I had some. I had a long list of summer camp goalies that had done camps over and over, and I came up with this idea of having this training center, one on ones. We started selling training packages before the facility was built and before we had the infrastructure. And people were buying those packages. How many did you sell? Oh, tons. Tons. It was awesome. But the cool thing is, is I picked a few parents after the fact. And I pulled them aside and I said, I want to ask you a question. What, you didn't know what this place was going to look like. You didn't know what the ice was going to look like. We didn't even know what it was going to look like. We didn't know all the details. We didn't know when it was. We had a deadline, which we made by 12 hours, literally by 12 hours. We got the ice in time 12 hours before the first lessons were scheduled. And I pulled some parents aside and said, what? Why? You didn't know? Why did you put your money out there? Why did you buy these packages? Why did you do that? They said, How much were the packages? Oh, they were they were not cheap. They had to invest thousands. Every person had to invest thousands to get their kid to buy a 10 lessons, 5 lessons, you know, whatever. And they said, well, Rob, we believed in you. It wasn't, they, they, they had spent enough time in the summers with me and I believe watching me teach and work with kids that that's what they were investing in. It wasn't necessarily the training center, but which is really cool to learn and that, that it wasn't about the ice. It was they were making a different investment. Obviously the ice and it all came together, but had it not been for that, those people saying, you know what, we we believe what we've seen in the summers, that this is gonna be, in, in their own mind, is a, an extension of that, and this will be good, and it'll be better, we're willing to invest. and and. It was incredible. And the other thing, Corey, is that at that moment in time, all we had were private lessons. We didn't have a sporting goods store. We didn't have any of those things. And it took me no time at all to figure out. It was awesome. Um, we had no plan of it. I'm not a POS guy. I'm still not a POS guy. None of that. I'm like, just kids need stuff. Get it in here, right? So. We went to we went to at that time John Brown who's a guy out of Canada. I loved his equipment. Um, I called John up and said, John, we need to sell equipment to kids. Like they're buying, I don't know where they're buying it. They're buying it somewhere, but we know what we're doing. We know we know what we see. I said, can I buy all your samples, everything you have? 
that's from last year. He said, yeah, here's your price. And I went to, uh, at that time, CCM. I went to their, uh, their head guy, Steve Ricks. I said, Rixie, I said, can we buy all your samples? I don't know what you got, doesn't matter. Can we just buy them all at year end? He goes, yeah, here, buy them all. And that's how we got started. And, we, and from there, it just took off. Um, our expertise in, in you know, both on and off ice is unparalleled. And it was so obvious what kids needed. They needed a t- goalies. They needed attention. They needed somebody to care about them. They needed somebody to put their arm around them, tell them the truth, uh, be there, um, you know, uh, when times are good, times are tough. Um, it was awesome. Corey, I can remember, I can remember one conversation I had with a kid. Um, I don't recall his name offhand, but I remember the whole thing. The kid was deathly afraid. They were going to this uh, semifinals of the, the state playoffs. I, he was distraught, and I got him on the phone. His mom told me, he said, oh, God, the kid's melting down. And I said, no problem. So I called the kid, talked through it, and... Uh, we were honest about it. We didn't try to avoid what it, you know, we were just honest. And we talked through the process of getting your mind right. And that team went on to the state championship. It was incredible. I mean, it, was, it went from a kid that was totally melting down in a matter of an hour phone conversation, getting his mind right, knowing the trigger points and not helping him. That kid went on. And it was like, those stories are one after another after another. And those are the, those are the that's, that's really why you do it. So many kids like that, that you can help. You have a career in coaching. Well, you have a career in playing, you have a career in coaching. How does your career in playing help you set up for coaching? Because after this, you continue to coach through this, yep. and then you go on to the, the U.S. Olympic team, yep. and you end up coaching to a gold medal. As we started the podcast, Corey, I said that every experience I had as a player, I put value to it. I studied it. I was not a player that, well, I don't know how other players think, but I can tell you how I think. I observed other players in critical moments, critical times, critical losses, critical wins. Um, All these things are experiences and events that have a chance of repeating themselves. And I wanted to get the most out of them as a player every single time, whether it was a terrible loss or a great victory. I was never, as a player, when I had great wins, I was never high. I mean, never. With terrible losses, I was never so low. I'd step back from each of those events as a player, as a, when you win and you lose. And my life as a player was stu- trying to study the difference in why this team won, why this team lose, why this team win, why this team lose. And so that that process that I put myself through. I didn't I didn't have a book. I didn't tell have somebody say this is what you should do. No. This is what I did. I did it because as a goalie you observe everything. Everything matters. To me everything mattered. So all those experiences, those wins and losses and great moments and difficult defeats. I made a choice to study them. And then I didn't ask people, does what I come up with, does that, it was, I trusted my observations, I trusted my judgment, 
Um, because I looked long and hard at it. Not a week. I'm talking years of looking at these things, trying to piece it together. And then through that process as a player, I believe in my heart that there's a difference between winning and losing. There are critical things that happen and how you address things, how you look at things, how you value things, what's the character of the team. Those things matter. So transitioning from a player to a coach, I put value on those things as a coach every single time. Never once did I not put value on things that I believe were important. I wasn't always a head coach, never a head coach, and quite frankly, hardly ever a head coach. I was mostly a goalie coach, occasionally an assistant coach, occasionally. But I took the lessons that I believe were most critical, and I said, no, I believe in those lessons. I will apply those lessons when I can, and I will stick to what I believe is the differences between winning and losing. You're an assistant coach, goalie coach, goalie coach, assistant coach. Why did you put your hat in the ring to be the head coach for that U.S. Olympic team? Never put my hat in the ring. Oh, they came to you? Yep. It was incredible. Um, after our 2014 loss in Sochi, where we hit the goal post with 40 seconds left and it stayed on the line and didn't go in, and Canada came back and tied the game and then won in overtime. Um, Devastation, right? Like I've talked about, devastating losses. I mean, I felt for the players. I felt for a head coach. I watched this. It was just a horrendous thing. Horrible. But like I've done my entire life, I had been documenting throughout the entire quad, journal, write stuff down. What do I see? What do I think is important? What are we missing? And at the end of it, I'm not quite sure. We get back to Boston. I'm expecting the general manager to have a debrief with everybody and and I had a chance to sit with her for four years because I was a goalie coach I always sat upstairs she would we would sit together and you know I'm observing the goalie I'm observing the team and we'd have a chance to talk a lot of hockey and so we built a really good relationship just based on here's what we see and and um, she got to know me I think very well and and after the 14 Olympics, she, we met at Starbucks in Boston. I know right where we were. And she said, so what do you think? And, you know, I started with all the things that I thought we did wrong. I didn't even talk about the players. Believe me, I thought the players, everybody plays a part in the loss. But I started with us as coaches, management, off-ice coaches. I just laid out my, my I had already documented them. Along the way, I was documenting and I had shared the things that concerned me about our team. The things that I thought we lacked based on my experience as a player, as a coach. You know, to this point in 14, when I'm meeting with her after the Olympic loss, I had coached three teams as a goalie coach to national championships. That's valuable experience. And I observed, it wasn't just about winning, I'm observing again and so I'm taking these experiences not only as a player wins critical wins and critical losses but also prior to the 14 
critical loss. And there was a lot of critical losses and wins in that period of time. So in 14, when I sit with our general manager, I say, look, I lay it right out. Thought about it, I wrote it down, and I said, here, here are the things where I think we went wrong. And, I, and, and at that, as she listened, she said, you know, would you want to be involved again? I wouldn't answer her because I said, well, it would be easy for me to sit here and say, who wouldn't want to be a part of another Olympics and try to get a different outcome? Who wouldn't want that? But I couldn't tell her I wanted to be part of that unless she could guarantee that we were going to be different. Because why would I, any human being, go through this event if you're not willing to make the changes that are necessary, that put you in a different spot to get a different result? There are no guarantees. Who'd want a guarantee going through that? You want to know. But what I wanted to know was, are we willing to make the changes as an organization to give ourselves a better chance of winning? That was the most important thing to me. It wasn't, well, I get another chance to help a team win. Because if we're going to do the things the same way, I, uh, trust me, there's four years of my life that I don't want to throw out the window. Are we willing to do this? And she couldn't answer that question, which was, how could she answer that question? She just got the information in this conversation. She said, well, we'll be in touch. And I got the call in March. So this was February, middle of March. I got a call from her. She said, uh, she said can you talk? I said, yeah. She goes, yeah. Are you willing to do it now? I, I, I think that... A lot of the things that we talked about, we can address, and I think they're good things. And I said, well, if we're willing to do those things, yeah, I, I, I'm all in. So we started that next quad from 2000, the 2014-15 season, 14-15, um, 15-16, 16-17, one year before the Olympics, um, we hadn't made the changes. And I was, I, was, I was at a spot where I was gonna step back from the program. Um, I was in Plymouth, Michigan. I was in the Target parking lot and I said to my wife, we're about to go in and I said, I can't go in. The, I said, I can't go in. I said, I, I, I can't do this anymore. I can't, I, I just at this point, I can't be a part of something that I don't believe in. We're not making the changes. We haven't done the things that we said we're gonna do. And I'll be devastated if we go to the Olympics and we hadn't made those changes and we end up with the same results. So I can't do this. So I'm going to call the director and I'm gonna let her know that I, I have to step back because it's time. We not I'm not gonna do this again. I'm not gonna be critical. I'm just telling you, we are not doing the things that we have to do to give ourselves a better chance of winning. Period. I'm not gonna discuss it. I know it. I see it. I believe it. So I got on the phone and I called uh, the director and I said, um, Greg, and I said, um, you know, we met in 14. There are the things we talked about things we said that were going to give us the best chance of winning so we haven't done it I said and, and um, I said you know little small talk and I said so you know with that being said I'm I'm going to and she stopped me before I could finish my sentence and she said uh, just she said, just stop right there you're gonna be the head coach and I I'm like I didn't 
didn't say I wanted to be a head coach. I said I wanted us to do the things that I think we can do to win. So who was the head coach at the time? Uh, Ken Clee. And I have no head coaching experience there, virtually none. So you're going, so it's a year before the Olympics. One year. This guy. December. He had, he'd coached us the last two years. Why? So they terminated him, they told him, and then they brought you in. Yeah, it was, it was tough. The toughest part was that we had some success. We're having some success. But we had success all the way through from 10 to 14. I, I watched it. Won two, two world championships, won every Four Nations tournament, won almost everything. Guarantees you nothing. And we weren't making the critical changes that we had to make. So it, what kind of critical changes? Like what well, we well, Corey, number one, mindset. Mindset. We had players that still, um, I, I, I can be frank about it, just were, weren't resilient. Need to be challenged. Not being challenged. Not being held accountable. Those aren't going to be good enough. Not going to be good enough. Because I can guarantee you, our, our greatest competition at that moment in time was Canada. Finland was coming on. I guarantee you, in my opinion, Canada's holding their players accountable. And if we don't at least do what they're doing from accountability, which you have to do anyhow. It doesn't even matter if Canada wasn't, but you have to be accountable. You have to, you have to value the things that make a difference. And if you're not going to do it, you're just going to go to South Korea and flip a coin. So what do you mean by holding accountable? They're just on the ice stuff. They were they weren't following through. Um, you know, the mental aspect of it. It's not in a book. You can, you can, read body language. We talked about Tom yeah. Kelly and awareness and knowing what's most important. Um, you know, you can be a team of mantras. And that's one of the things that I mentioned that we were in 14 when we lost. I said, it's great. We had the greatest mantras of any team. Everybody has them. I said, we're the greatest. We had great mantras. I said, the reality is we didn't live with one of them. I said, unless we want to become what we say we want to become, then I, I don't even want to hear the mantras. I never want to hear them again. None of it matters because if you're not willing to do it, then forget it. So... We just weren't living what we what we said we wanted to be, and there's a whole long list of things. But I'm I'm talking one from the mental resiliency, and really valuing mental preparation. Really valuing at that level of hockey, when it comes to the Olympics, the greatest difference is going to be your mindset, your preparation, how you. How, do you really believe that this is a team on a mission with a purpose? Do you have a purpose? We didn't, we didn't have a purpose. Purpose, yeah, win a gold medal. Who doesn't want to go in there and say win a gold medal? That is not good enough. And let me say this. Here's why I know it's not good enough. If I asked 100 people, Which country's national game is hockey? How many people would say Sweden? Zero. 
out of a hundred, how many would say Canada? Hundred. Hundred. Yeah. So now you got to be a group of women. You have to beat them. That's your goal. You, you say you want to win a gold medal. You have to beat a group of women that say and believe and have been told from the time of three years old, four years old, five years old, that this is your game. Your national game. It's true. And if it's true, how much pride do you think they have? How much guts do you think they got to have? How much do you think they believe that? A whole bunch of other things that come with that. But one thing that really comes with that is Canada has, what, 33 million people? Mm -hmm. I'm going to go out on a limb. And when I say I go out on a limb, this limb is about a, the, the size of a redwood. There might be 27 million people in Canada that actually care about the women's team, that care that they win. Now, I'm not going out on a limb when I say this. There are probably not 27 million people in this country that care about our women's hockey team. So when you have the responsibility, and you carry that responsibility, and you know what your responsibility is to the country, and you know what responsibility you have to Team Canada and what it means, that is a higher purpose. Period. When you put on that jersey, that's a higher purpose. It's your game. I get that. I know that. So as a coach, if you believe that about your competitor, you can say that, truthfully say that about your competitor, how in the world are you going to beat them? Number one. You're going to beat them with a flip of a coin? You're going to beat them saying, well, we're more skilled? No. Not, not going to happen. And if you believe it's going to happen, why would you take that chance? Why would you risk everything to believe that you're talent, you're better, you're faster, maybe you're a little more skilled? Why would you risk that going into a gold medal game and not addressing what you have to address? Which is, what's it like for a female Canadian 23-year-old player to walk into a Tim Hortons when 27 million people recognize her and they've lost. What's that responsibility? An American young lady, 23 years old, walks into a Dunkin' Donuts and nobody knows her. Think there's a sense of responsibility difference? Nobody will tell me that there's not a sense of difference. So, how do you beat that? How do you get your mind right to know who your competitor truly is? What is it that really drives them? Can you go into a gold medal game? And these are the conversations I have with myself. I know, I believe in my heart. Can you go into a medal, gold medal game and believe that you can just even mirror, mirror them? Meaning you can say to yourself, this is for our country. Can you say, well, there are 27 million people here that care. Can you say that this is your national game? I mean, you could lie to yourself and say all those things. Okay, now you're mirroring your greatest competitor, Kenny. Now you're just, now you're even with them. Is that what you want? Is that good enough? Is that gonna be enough to put you over the top just to mirror them? Or do you think you really have to have a higher purpose above and beyond what your greatest competitor does? To me, 
you better find something that's more important than what they're playing for. And when you do that and you find what's more important than what they're playing for, your chances of winning increase greatly. On, you have to be the most selfless team and you have to have a vision that is so much greater than just winning a gold medal. You have to have a vision that's so much greater than just playing just for your country. You have to seize the opportunity and you have to know that this is your one chance in a lifetime that you have the chance to display something that is greater. This is your kick at the can and you better find it. And, I, and we helped them with that. We helped them with the vision. So what was the vision? Vision is we're going to be the most creative female team that's ever played the game of hockey. We're going to possess the puck better than any female team that's ever stepped on the ice. We're going to be the most selfless female team that has ever played the game of hockey. We are going to be the fastest female team that ever played the game of hockey. We are going to be a team that is built on all four lines matter. We are not going to go to the Olympics and count on two teams, two lines to score. We're going to be the greatest team from top to bottom that has ever played the female game of hockey. And so we started with this messaging and all of a sudden it's like, what do you want to be remembered as? This is your chance. Do you want to be remembered as a team that went in there and flipped, flipped a 50-50 coin and you didn't lay it on the line and you didn't see the vision and you didn't know how important it is that it doesn't matter who scores? One of the things we said to our team, Corey, is we do not care who scores. Corey, as coaches, we never kept stats. I couldn't tell you because here's what mattered. Did the goal line score? Did the white line score? Did the red line score? Did the blue line score? I didn't say, did Hillary Knight score? Did Decker score? None of it mattered. I said, did the goal line score? Did the red line score? Did the white line score? Did the blue line score? First thing we said is, we expect every player on this team to contribute both offensively and defensively. We had a responsibility to both sides of the puck. Unlike, I've been in hockey my entire life. It's not like that. It's not like that. Nowhere is it like it. Nowhere in the world are they expecting all four lines to produce both offensively and defensively. So we set it up that this is a team that is going to be so dynamic, so hard to stop. You're going to be incredible, incredibly difficult to stop. And you're going to possess the puck better than any team that's ever stepped on the ice. So we had a different, we had, we had a different focus. And I said, if we do these things, our chances of winning a gold medal become much greater. And you have a higher purpose. You want to impact people. You want people to leave the rink saying, I've never seen anything like it, no matter what country. And Corey, we accomplished your goal, not just because of the gold medal. I have about an hour of film clips of the Canadian announcers saying exactly what we set out to do. They set our vision. They say they've never seen anything so creative. They've never seen a team that it moves, cross and drop, unselfish. These are their words describing the U.S. women's hockey team to the vision that we had set out to do. We accomplished our goal.
with something greater than ourselves. People talk about something greater than themselves. Do they really mean it? And, and we did it. It wasn't easy. And we, we, had, we, had, we had a lot, a lot to accomplish in a short period of time. It's incredible, incredible. Corey, the headwinds that we had, and when I say headwinds are normal, here you are, you're one, you are one year away from your dream. You're a female hockey player on this team. December of 16, you're going to the Olympics in January of 17. 12, 12, 13 months. You are now being asked to change everything you've ever done in the game of hockey, and you're being asked to contribute both sides of the puck. You're being asked not to worry about whether you score or no, don't score. You're being asked to learn to possess the puck better than you ever have, which means you don't give it up, you don't dump and chase, you don't do the things you've been told your entire life. You, we are blowing your world up. And we're saying, we're gonna go to the Olympics and we're gonna win this way. You wouldn't, if you were a player on that team, you would be scared to death. Because it's everything that you don't know. You know what you're gonna get if you keep playing the same way. You know you got a 50-50 chance of winning. It's not bad. Going to the Olympics my whole life, if we just chip it in a little better, if we do this just a little better, maybe, and we're saying, no, no, no. You don't wanna do that to yourself. You wanna go in to the Olympics with a greater chance of winning than you ever had, which means you have to transform yourself, which means you have to change the way you think, which means you have to be more resilient, which means you have to, you have to let go of so many of the things that you've learned at this point in your life. And you have to trust the coaches that we have a vision that we believe is gonna give you the best chance of winning. That's a lot of headwinds. That's a lot to ask of 23 players. How much pushback did you get? A lot. hundred percent. To be expected. To be expected. Nothing surprised me. Pushback. None of it. I, I, I didn't judge players for it. I didn't question them. No. I mean, it is what it is. When you ask players to do something they've never done in their lives, and you're asking them to do things that are so difficult, you're gonna get pushback. You should expect it, which we did. But the cool thing, Corey, for us as coaches, and obviously myself as the leader of that vision, I never lost, I never lost, honestly, never lost one ounce of sleep over it. Never lost track of the vision knew exactly what it could look like. There's, there's no question we can do this. No question. We, you know how many times we said to the players, Corey, I can't tell you. If I said it once, I said it a hundred times. We trust you more than, than you trust yourselves. We see it. We know you can do this. And your question, you're wondering, I get it. Like you're, We absolutely know you can do what we're asking you to do. All right, well, let's break down this one. Wow. We have a lifetime of experiences coming together and climaxing for an Olympic gold medal. Rob said he didn't have, he didn't have any sleepless nights. I have sleepless nights just thinking about him not having sleepless nights. 
to pull that off in that short amount of time period is as short of amazing. But he talked about the mantra. And just think about this in all of organizations and in our, in our teams and everything, about the mantras that, that we try to carry. But do we, do we actually execute our mantras? And that, I think that's the biggest takeaway for me on, on this podcast here, is how Rob was able to take a mantra, implement it, and execute it. Hey, thanks for listening to the show today. If you like this show or any other of our shows, make sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you want to read stories written by our guests, you can do that on www.linkly.com. Don't forget to sign up for our weekly newsletter so you don't miss any of these stories. Make sure to check out our social pages. We have them all. Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. If you have any suggestions for our show, please write us on Facebook. I'm Corey Kosky, and you've been listening to How I Got Here from Linkly. Special thanks to Wade Beavers and our friends at the restaurant Agriculture.